Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to the Sports Media Watch podcast. This is John Lewis, joined as always by Drew Lerner. Today we are talking about NBA All-Star Weekend and more. But first, do not forget to subscribe to the SMW podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. Let's go ahead and dig in to the NBA All-Star Weekend. So I had the opportunity to attend all three days of All-Star Weekend in Indianapolis. And uh, it was uh, me and uh, my co-writer, Adam Gostomelski, who's done some work on the site in the past. You might be familiar with him. And uh, so the two of us were all over All-Star Weekend. Uh, I attended uh, every event that I could. Because, uh, you know, for me, it was uh, really the first time I've been to All-Star Weekend before I went up in 2020. Uh, but that was just to interview Rachel Nichols, who at the time was ESPN's lead NBA host. Uh, this time, I went for all of the events from the Celebrity Game and Rising Stars on Friday through Saturday night, even the practice earlier Saturday, and then, of course, the actual game. I was even in the building for the uh, HBCU Classic, though. Uh, I really wasn't watching. I was just in the building. Um, so I, I took in as much of All-Star Weekend as I possibly could. And it was an interesting experience because watching All-Star Weekend on TV is very different than being there. When you're there, it really is an NBA carnival. Uh, and uh, I would have a tough time saying that I didn't enjoy it. I did enjoy it. It was a, it was a, it was a good time. Uh, I think I'll enjoy it more in the rear view than I did even when I was there. Because, you know, when you're in it, it's this hurricane of events. A little bit of time away from it, you can gain a, a greater appreciation for uh, everything. And it was, uh, it was a great time. Uh, and uh, that doesn't mean it was a great game. Uh, so, you know, watching the All-Star game in person, I have been to only one other NBA game in person in my entire life. And that was Detroit at Atlanta in 2001. And uh, there were very few All-Stars in that game. Ben Wallace, Tony Kukoc, but that's about it. Uh, and uh, to be able to say, to, to be able to go from having not seen any of these guys in person to say you've seen LeBron, Curry, Durant, all of these guys playing, it's really something. Now, of course, the game wasn't actually that interesting. Uh, I did see a LeBron dunk, you know, uh, there were some nice plays, but ultimately it was a little bit too easy, a little bit too much like, uh, honestly, like they were just getting a little cardio in for the weekend. It was not particularly exciting or, or fun to watch for me, even in person. I suspect that watching it on TV, I probably would have switched. As it was, um, I did leave before the game was over, but only to go down to the media room to prepare for the post-game interviews. Uh I probably would have stayed to the end because you're there, right? Uh, but uh, if I was watching that on on regular TV, even if I wasn't, even if I didn't switch away, I'd be doing other stuff. I'd have other stuff loaded up. So here's the thing, though: viewership up twenty percent from last year. And uh, Drew, I'll bring you in on that note. Yeah, up twenty percent, but from an all-time low, right? Exactly. 
so that's that's the big caveat here it's it's a little bit easier to juice your percentage numbers when you're coming off <laughs> quite a low number um i think you mentioned in your write-up about uh all-star the all-star game that uh, it was up 20 percent, but it's still the second lowest on record so 5.5 million and that's across the the three turner networks tbs tnt and true tv so we're trending up but uh you know let's yeah, let's not you know get ahead of our skis here. This isn't like a, an amazing number or anything. And you know, I didn't watch a single second of NBA All Star Weekend. I I was able to catch some Mac McClung dunks on on Twitter, and and that's about it. And then I saw about ten times more content around is the All Star Game dead than I saw of the actual All Star Game. So. I think it's an issue that the discourse the past several years has always led directly to the same place on the day following the All-Star game. It's that the format is broken. It's embarrassing for the league. Yet, on the bright side, this is the biggest audience the NBA has gotten all year for any game. So it's it's really a mixed bag. Um, I think for me, the more impressive number is that you're getting... 5.4 million so almost as much as the all-star game for the festivities the night before the dunk contest three-point contests etc yeah well i do want to clear uh that up that's uh, that's 5.4 million at peak so uh, oh okay well that that's actually probably on me i was wondering about this when i wrote about it in the article when i said uh, uh that 5.4 million were watching the contest I tried to make it clear that it was just a contest I was referring to because that really was the driver for All-Star Saturday night. I thought it was very interesting. The average minute audience was up 31% for All-Star Saturday night, but the total viewership was up 54%. So what does that tell you? That tells you that there were a lot of people who tuned in for a relatively small amount of time. Uh, and I would expect, based on the peak audience and just based on the fact that it probably brought in a different audience to this to the saturday night than than typical i would think the curry sabrina uh thing was the driver of that so um yeah i mean can you say it was a successful weekend for the nba i mean yeah from the standpoint of up is up and for this event for this particular event which has been circling the drain now for years in terms of relevancy to be able to bounce back by double digits from last year i wouldn't have expected that Viewership was probably going to be up no matter what, just because Steph Curry was going to be in it, and last year he wasn't. But it could have been up 8%. You know, it could have been up to 4.8, 4.9 million. Instead, it got back to the mid-5 million range and not too far off. I mean, it, it got back basically to not all the way where it was, but the difference between 6.1 million and 5.5 million, that's basically the same range. So I think if you're the NBA, you know... Uh, I mean, it's tough. The bar is lower. The bar is lower for every single sport outside of the NFL. And so up 20% from a record low, it doesn't mean that this game is not still you know, problematic for the league, but I think I would not have expected an increase like that. I think, you know, in the in the era of load management, it's unfair for us to expect the players to really try hard in an exhibition environment like the all-star game i think 
them going in with the mentality that it's going to be more Globetrotters-esque, I think is fine. I think that's a fair expectation for the players, especially, you know, when you're Steph Curry and Kevin Durant, you're so valuable to your franchise that you pretty much lose all hope of any sort of playoff run if you get injured, right? So why would you be risking injury in an exhibition game? It makes no sense. If you're coming at it from that standpoint and you're the NBA, how can we manufacture the entertainment of this event to a point where it's not kind of eye-glazing, boring, and you're just tuning in to see LeBron do a windmill dunk or you know Steph Curry hit a half-court shot in a quote-unquote game format? Is there anything you think the NBA should go towards format-wise that would help with you know viewership or just the overall entertainment product? I think they should go to 40 minutes instead of 48. We saw there's no need for the All-Star game to be 48 minutes. Um, now, you know, I mentioned that to Adam uh, when we were at the game, and, you know, he brought up a good point, which is that puts a lot of pressure on, you know, the coach in terms of making sure everybody gets some playing time. But the fewer minutes the Stars play, the better for their other coaches <laughs> and all the things we were talking about with avoiding injuries. So, um, you know, I think 40 minutes is a good idea. Um, I I like the fact that they got rid of the all-star draft, the team LeBron, team Giannis. You know, the funny thing is the NHL went away from it. The NHL started this, then went away from it, and then went back to it. So it might be the case that the NBA will eventually go back. But uh, I do like the East versus West format. But you know what you could do? There's no meaning for divisions in the NBA. So why not have a divisional format? The, you know, you have six divisions in the NBA. I guess I forgot that they don't have four at six. So I, I'm, that might be a little bit more difficult. So two divisions in the first quarter, two divisions in the second, two divisions in the third, and then the highest point total or the greatest point differential or whatever meet in the fourth to determine a winner. And you obviously have to pay a little bit of money for that. That, that, that might be a way to go. Yeah, you see, I've seen all these proposed formats and things you can do, like uh, USA versus the world, or, you know, continue to the East versus West. I'm not sure anything that the NBA does format-wise will really move the needle in any particular way. I think their focus should really be highlighting their big stars, especially while you still have LeBron James and Steph Curry in the league, because. Who knows what an all-star weekend without those two looks like. And then second, you want to focus on getting the product to younger people. So exploring ways where you can put this on social media in a enticing format for viewers that wouldn't normally watch a regular season NBA game. Uh, I think those kind of need to be the focus for the NBA because once again, if you're coming from the premise that these players aren't going to try at least as hard as they should, um, I don't even think like a financial incentive, unless it gets to an absurd amount, would you know cause them to really up the level of the game in such a way where it'd be more entertaining for the fans. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a game that doesn't count. 
and there's no money at stake. So it's not like the in-season tournament. And it's not just in the middle of the season. It's in the, it's toward the end. So you're talking about this is crucial, you know, th this is playoff push time for these players. Um, it's going to be tough no matter what to get them to buy in because it doesn't make any logical sense for them to buy in. I will say that, uh, you know, when you look at all-star games across sports, baseball is the only one where it's a normal game. I mean, other than the NBA, football gave up. Hockey, uh, you know, also gave up. I mean, but as long as the NBA All-Star Game is the most watched game of the regular season or one of them, it's going to have to stay on the schedule in some form. So maybe that can be some kind of more obviously exhibition style play. Maybe you just kind of say, okay, it's going to be 248 to 246. There's nothing we can do about it, but people are still tuning in. They're not going to get rid of it. That would be a really no. dumb business decision. 5.5 million viewers, again, granted, this is largely because the Christmas game struggled so badly opposite the NFL, but 5.5 million viewers is the largest NBA audience this season. You're not getting rid of it. I don't know that you can prevent the viewership from continuing to decline, but hey, as long as it's above you know, your regular season average, I see no reason why there's an urgent need to do anything. One other note from NBA All-Star Weekend, something that I saw get a lot of play on social media, is the dunk contest versus the three-point contest, which should be the marquee event of Saturday night. Now, you were there. You got to experience what the crowd reaction was like to both events. Do you think there's an argument for the three-point contest to be the new headliner on NBA Saturday night? Well, yeah. I mean, look, as, as long as the dunk contest is going to be what it is, the three-point contest is the marquee event of All-Star Saturday night. And uh, when you talk about all the stars you had in the three-point contest compared to you had Jalen Brown and a bunch of players who aren't in the NBA, really. Who is the fourth? It was Jalen Brown. Oh, Jame Jaquez, uh, who does play for the Heat. Uh, really a, an awful field. I'm not saying their dunks were bad, although a lot of their dunks were pretty underwhelming. Um, I do think that the crowd was riled up during the dunk contest. There were some pretty loud boos for uh, the judges. And uh, when Jalen Browns uh, had the floor turned into the Celtics floor, because, you know, they had those LED courts. So mm -hmm. there was uh, a lot of uh, booing over that. But, you know, when uh, the three-point contest, I think, was, a, was, was, not, was not just a better experience, but the Steph versus Sabrina three-point contest was really well-received. And uh, that might be something to keep going even into Steph's retirement like you know LeBron the way that he plays his game is one that he's not going to be able to do at a high level into his 50s or anything but I think Steph could still be able to compete in a three-point contest you know as long as he lives really so to me given Steph's star power which he is at worst 1B to LeBron and I do think he's behind LeBron in terms of popularity. LeBron was voted onto the all-star team and Steph was a reserve. I mean, that alone, even though Steph is, is certainly a, a massive celebrity, a massive star, I'd still put him 1B behind LeBron. But hey, LeBron's not going to be able to do a, you know anything at age 50, and he's going to be you know presumably busy with his businesses. I mean, Steph will too. But I say as long as Steph Curry has the impact on the viewership that he does, 
even after he retires, you bring him back to face the best three-point shooter in the current NBA and whatever legend of the WNBA there is, UNESCO's only 26. Caitlin Clark is, what, 20-something? I don't know. I mean, that could be a staple of the weekend. Steph, the Steph Curry all-star challenge, right? I think that would bring the juice, you know? Uh, you have legends of the past going against current NBA stars. And could you imagine the reaction if Steph Curry in his 40s or 50s beats a current NBA player? I mean, it, it would be bananas. Yeah. I mean, that there's there's opportunity there. What Steph versus Sabrina showed is that there is room for direct head-to-head competition in the all-star format. That you can have, okay, we're going to have every year it's going to be blank versus blank. And, you know, maybe you bring in one-on-one, right? Wouldn't it be interesting? I mean, I guess not really, but what about Draymond versus Nurkic one-on-one at All-Star <laughs> Weekend, you know, bragging rights or something? Like, you know, you, you take two players who have a history, not too negative of a history because it's still a positive weekend. Two players with a history, a rivalry, they go one-on-one in something. It can be regular one-on-one. It can be a three-point contest. You know, it can be a one-on-one skills competition and who knows, but you create something along those lines and you, you got to come up with more stunts because the dunk contest is unsalvageable. Part of that is too, all the dunks have been done. Oh, wow. You dunked over Shaq. I haven't seen that one before. I mean, the only dunk that was uh, new in that contest was Mac McClung taking his hands off the ball, which uh, was pretty impressive, but all in all, uh, the dunk contest is very passive. All right, John, just a couple more All-Star Weekend topics to get to. You were there with Adam. One of the big headlines coming out of this weekend was the NBAI Summit that the league did on Friday. What were your news and notes coming out of that uh, summit there? The tech summit that the NBA does every year is off the record, so I can't go too into uh, detail. But uh, very interesting stuff. I mean, the, the NBA AI stuff was was announced by the league, so we can talk about that pretty pretty in depth. Um, so have you seen the NBA AI uh, stuff that they were demonstrating? Not past like the headlines. I haven't visually seen anything. Yeah. Well, at the tech summit, they they did do um, a couple of demonstrations. So one was you have live game action in one window, and then you put in the AI prompt, show me this game in the style of a dramatic film. And the AI prompt loads up a dramatic film that is following the action of the game, but, you know, done with a certain angle, you know, the, 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 the look of a dramatic sports movie, right? Obviously, it can't do this in real time. Uh, my personal thought is that there's no way that it can do this without anything other than a pretty significant delay. But obviously, we don't know what AI is going to be able to do in like five years, but I don't think AI is going to be able to do that kind of thing in, in any short length of time. Uh, but it looked really interesting. They, they had a Spider-Man version as well, and it, it's, it's tracking the real-time action and displaying this AI-generated content. It's basically a simulcast. It's, it's an altcast, but an altcast of your choosing. I think that could have very high potential in drawing in certainly kids. Now, of course, the most incredible things in the world are things people get used to rather quickly. So the downside is that one day, you know, you'll have kids saying, well, you know, I, I've exhausted the number of alternate versions of this that I can watch, right? 
and they move on to something else. But uh, if this works the way the NBA showed, then it certainly has the potential to, you know, be an avenue that the league can use to try to draw in more viewers. Yeah. And without getting, um, you know, too into off the record stuff, was there anything from a media perspective that you found uh, enticing during this tech summit? Uh, any media innovations or things that the league is looking at that maybe um maybe we as viewers would not uh be considering right now not necessarily i mean you know really the tech summit it, it sounds on paper like you know the nba is just playing all this great technology like it's a science fair or something you know but the reality is that it's nearly all the discussion is about ai uh, the nba displayed its ai technology and then they had a couple of panels that were about AI, you know, um, and it wasn't like the NBA was, it wasn't like CES. An NBA mm -hmm. version of CES would be great, or any sports version of that would be great. Uh, now, they did have the MetaQuest uh, goggles, um, uh, and I did try those out. Um, very nice person helped me out with the MetaQuest uh, goggles, and so it makes me feel bad that I have to say I wasn't overly impressed. Uh, or really impressed at all because okay, what am I looking at? If I'm putting on if I'm putting on a VR headset, I want to be sitting courtside at the game and to feel like I'm sitting courtside. I actually did have the opportunity to sit courtside in the arena on Sunday. Now, of course, not during the game, but before it, and it was interesting. You know, there were players out on the court uh, getting ready to, I guess, rehearsing for for later in the night. And uh, certainly, I mean, I can only imagine what it's like to be sitting courtside watching a game. I mean, it, it must be pretty wild. So to me, if you can duplicate that in uh, in a real way, not, well, I mean, I guess we already have done that with VR, uh, is, is to duplicate a courtside seat. But that, to me, is what, the kind of functionality I want. Because what has been displayed with the MetaQuest, what has been displayed with the Apple Vision Pro, which is putting on a headset and having 50 different games in multi-view in front of you. I don't want that. What a nightmare that would be. I mean, there is such a thing, even after all these years, as overstimulation. Yeah. And the one other, uh, I guess, very public innovation that the NBA displayed this weekend was the LED court. How did that look in person and is this something that they want to roll out outside of, you know, an NBA All-Star Weekend environment? Well, I think the LED court looks great on a monitor. It looks great on a TV, and it looks great on the video monitor in Lucas Oil Stadium. As for the real-life version of it, I would say it doesn't pop as well as you would think. I mean, you would think it would pop more in, in reality than on TV, but no, it pops more on TV. Um, some of the things that are displayed, like during the All-Star Celebrity Game, you know, Cassidy Hubbard is talking about uh, how she puts sensors in her shoes. Whenever she walks around, there's a blue star underneath her that follows her. And those same sensors were under the, uh, were in the shoes of the competitors, and they allow you to see the competitor's name and all these things like a video game, like NBA Live or 2K or whatever. But the fact of the matter is, if you're sitting in the stands, certainly from the angle that uh, that the media seating was in, you can't really tell what you're seeing. I mean, it's very faint. That blue star on the court was very faint. Um, the, the color is washed out in reality. 
uh, compared to on TV and on monitors. So um, you never want real life to look less verdant than, you know, the TV screen. Uh, but that is how uh, I felt about it. Um, we Now, we did step out onto that playing surface, and you can detect it is different to step on than, uh, than hardwood. It is different. Um, you know, Jalen Brown said after the game that the surface is slippery. Um, obviously, I wouldn't be able to tell that. I wasn't playing on it. Uh, I did see Scotty Barnes do a little bit of warming, warming up on it. Uh, he didn't seem phased by anything. He didn't seem phased by the, the, the bouncing of the ball. Uh, he didn't seem phased by the colors changing underneath him or anything like that. So, you know, who knows? I mean, Jalen Brown complained about the in-season tournament courts. Maybe it's Jalen. There's this interesting trend in sports broadcasting where broadcasters would like to gamify their their broadcasts. They they want them to look more like a video game. When I um, toured the Live Broadcasts Center um, last year in West Virginia, this is this is something they brought up many times to me that they're looking to make their broadcast feel more as if you were playing a game. That's one, I'm sure, to attract younger viewers, but two, it's it's to allow more elements to make their way to the screen to enhance the viewer experience. I think if you watched uh, Thursday Night Football on Amazon's like next-gen broadcast where they would kind of you know maybe identify blitzers or potential blitzers pre-snap, uh, or do some of those things with the real-time on-screen graphics, that's aiming for the same thing. They're looking to provide more information for the viewers, but also kind of, you know, make it more video gamey, maybe attract a younger audience. I think this is a trend that we'll probably see continue in sports broadcasting. Um, I mean, I didn't see any of the NBA All-Star version of this, but, I mean, if it looked, you know, similar to NBA 2K in any way, I can't imagine that's a bad thing when you're trying to get a younger audience. Yeah, I mean, certainly the more you can have things resemble what young people are familiar with, the better. Um, but at the same time, you know, I don't really know how it looked on TV. I mean, it surely looked better on TV than it did in person because these graphics are really designed for TV even though they are able to be seen on the court. Um, you know, I, I, I do think that... Uh, what I really liked about it was the ability to customize the court at, you know, so during Saturday night, the court was a different color for each event. I thought that was uh, certainly something that makes me think about the in-season tournament, um, you know, and, and the difficulty that they had this year with all the custom courts, having those custom courts, you know, made and delivered. Uh, this would be a much easier way to deal with that. Also made me think about the bubble and how it's too bad that this wasn't around during that because that would have definitely improved the circumstances to have some actual real-looking NBA courts out in 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 uh, the Disney World there. Um, so you know, th there's a lot of potential with it. I I think there's a lot of testing that needs to be done. It's not a hardwood court. It is. It's just plainly not. Um, it's. It's basically glass paneling, and the lines are, you know, um, diodes. I guess is that a thing? I, I, I don't know. You know, it's not my not my forte. 
I, I do bring that up about the the uh, the the lines because I wonder when you get to a point of you know foot on the line toe on the line three point shot whether it'll be automated like in tennis with Hawkeye and whether mm-hmm. they can make it an exact automation because those are not actually painted on that'll be interesting. Uh, you'd imagine they could do something like that now if if they were aiming to do so. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In any case, I think that's a good place to leave NBA All-Star Weekend. We have a couple more topics to get to quickly here at the end of the show. Um, I think the big news coming out of this weekend uh, while you were in Indianapolis was the relationship between ESPN and the college football playoff. Now, it was reported this morning, as we record on Tuesday in The Athletic, that ESPN will consider pulling their offer that last week was reported was in the $1.3 billion range annually for the additional inventory for the expanded college football playoff. This is if the leadership for the college football playoff cannot come to a consensus in a timely manner about you know the format, revenue distribution, etc. Those leaders will be meeting this week to try to come up with some solutions for the college football playoff. Uh, Another interesting note from that report in The Athletic this morning, ESPN in the current agreement, if that stands and becomes finalized, which, once again, the leaders of the college football playoff have not voted on yet, they can sublicense up to five games per year. That was a key detail in that report. So, John, a lot of uncertainty in the world of college football right now. Do you see this deal eventually getting done? Yeah, of course. ESPN's not going to pull this offer. They'd be crazy to. There's reputational damage uh, to be done by doing something like that. You don't get to a deal and then back out in a snit. So, no, I mean, one, ESPN's getting a really great deal here, too. $1.3 billion a year. I mean, that's an excellent deal for the property we're talking about here. Um, so, uh, I don't know. You know, I don't see this ever happening. Um, and, you know, trying to keep the college football playoff system honest. When has anyone ever been able to keep college football executives honest, right? So they're not going to be cowed or, 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 or made to feel fear about this. They know that they've got this deal. Um, I do, you know, I, I mean, I, as I've said, the fact that there was uh, so little, so little real competition for this property is, it says a lot about where the industry is. The one thing I will say, though, about the playoffs, Nobody needs it. It's 12 games, and college football is at its best and most popular, even though the ratings are higher in the playoff. There's also fewer games, so no cannibalization. There's more people watching college football in this September, October, and November than during the playoff. And so if you're ESPN, you could live without this. You've got the SEC. You're fine. You know, um, If you're ESPN, you can live without this. You don't need to have the playoff. Now, that doesn't mean I think they're going to back out because, again, I think it matters that your word 
can be uh, honored. You know, the idea that ESPN would damage its relationship with any property when all the other properties can see what's going on. It's not like this is all happening in private. I think that would be a, a crazy thing to do. Well, you bring up a great point about the sports rights marketplace, um, how robust it is, how much competition there is for this package. Another key detail in the athletic report this morning um, was that other networks could potentially submit new bids as this uncertainty plays out. Um, the report outlined that given the you know joint entity, that agreement between Disney, Fox, and Warner Brothers Discovery, it's unlikely that you'd maybe see a Fox or a WBD jump in. But given the kind of shot across the bow for NBC, uh, and Paramount and CBS, there's potential there for NBC to see value that they did not once see in this college football playoff package. Because if we're entering a world with you know two major sports streamers, one with you know ESPN, Fox, and the Warner Brothers properties, and then one with NBC and CBS's properties, this could prove massively valuable for an NBC. Um, this also could give credence to the concerns of regulators here if Fox decides, oh, well, why would we bid on this package? Because we're already going to have it on our joint streaming entity with Disney, so there's no reason for us to go and submit a bid. Well, I will say that the networks, ESPN, Fox, and Warner Brothers Discovery have made it expressly clear that they do not plan to do any joint bidding. And for that reason, because of the antitrust scrutiny, that they're not going to do any joint bidding. Now, what you're talking about, certainly you don't have to do a joint bid to say, well, we don't really need to bid for the rights here because we're, we own, you know, a third of a service that will have these, these properties, but still that's, you know, that's not the same as anything that, I mean, Maybe that well, the, it, there's less competition in the market if that's the case. If if you know Fox or Warner Brothers otherwise would feel that oh, this package is crucial for us to have, or maybe existential for us to have, even um, they they're likely to submit a bid. Uh, but in a you know joint entity streaming service, they're more comfortable saying we can allow ESPN to take that because a lot of our customers are still going to have access to that if they're streaming service subscribers. Yeah, it's an interesting aspect. It definitely makes you wonder. Um, but I, I do think that ultimately, you know, you're, we don't even know how many, how many people are going to sign up for this. So if you're Fox or, or, or WBD, you can't just say, well, ESPN will have it. We have a third of a and we own a third of a platform that has ESPN's networks. I just don't think that's enough. Um, so uh, to, I do think that uh, ESPN will keep the rights to this. They've agreed. Um, NBC would be interesting. CBS would be interesting if they got in and, and decided to do a, uh, a little vengeance bidding, right? That would be very fascinating. But I think you should go with the most likely scenario, and that is that ESPN stays. I'm sure there will be plenty of news to come out of these meetings this week. We already know that the board approved the 5 plus 7 model um, for the 12-team format. 
do we know if this five plus seven will be just for the next couple of years or will that be through the 2031-32 season that ESPN has agreed to? Just the next few years, not part of the new deal. Gotcha. All right. So good to know. I'm sure we'll hear more about the meetings this week. Uh, John, let's quickly close out with a couple quick hitters. We'll start with the unfortunate news of the Chiefs Super Bowl parade shooting last week. Um, from a sports media perspective, I found it interesting um, how the networks covered it in the immediate aftermath of the shooting. Um, Fox Sports 1 actually decided to cut their programming, which I believe was first things first, which was actually on site at the Super Bowl parade, and they decided to take the Fox News coverage of the shooting and simulcast that on FS1. Uh, ESPN, for their part, this was during uh, their daily NBA studio show, did not actually cut in with live breaking news coverage until the 4 p.m. hour when NFL Live started. So an interesting um, interplay there between Fox Sports 1 and ESPN. Well, I mean, ESPN should have been, ESPN should have been on earlier with live coverage, but, you know, they have to be careful. Um, you know, they don't have some kind of big sprawling news operation. I mean, they have ABC News. But, um, you know, I don't judge them too harshly for being late. I do think that continuing with the taped segment on NBA Today, some Valentine's Day segment, probably wasn't a great idea. Once once they finally did break in and, and mention the story on air, then they went back to a taped segment. That wasn't a smart idea. But other than that, you know, yeah, I mean, it's an unusual story. Hopefully we won't see another one like that for a while, though it's inevitable that it'll happen again at some point. Um, I do think that, you know, obviously the safety of big mass gatherings is is pretty questionable. Um, and so far we have not had somebody target one of these with the intention of, of killing as many people as, as he can, like we do see with a lot of other occasions. Uh, so far, all of these parade incidents have been two morons beefing and uh, being armed. And it just so happened that the two morons, in this case, two kids, had guns that were powerful enough that as they're trying to shoot each other, they shoot you know, 21 people and kill another. So um, I, I don't know what you do about that. I would say, um, you know, I mean, I have the standard point of view on this. I mean, I, I try not to be too... Um, too doctrinaire in terms of politics and, and using my platform to lecture to people. But, you know, I mean, I think it's a pretty reasonable thing to not want uh, certain types of guns to be out on the street. I think that's a reasonable thing. I would also say that, you know, it's times like these that people say, you know, America is this, America is that. The first one of these that I remember was in Toronto with the Raptors parade. Uh, so, you know, obviously this kind of stuff happens way more here in America than anywhere else. But the only pro sports title, Big Four, that Toronto has won in the last, I don't even know how many years, they had this happen there as well. It's, um, you know, what what do you do about it? Um, obviously, it wasn't as deadly, obviously. None of the previous ones were deadly like this. But uh, I do think it's inevitable that these types of things will happen. It makes me worry about things like game day. 
obviously this happening right before All-Star Weekend was a little bit concerning because you're going to a place where there'll be a lot of gatherings. The weather really kept there from being many or any outdoor gatherings, honestly. Uh, the weather was horrible in Indianapolis, driving snow. Uh, so the, a lot of the outdoor events at All-Star Weekend were empty. Um, but, you know, you still do have the big crowds on the inside, although once you get to the inside of the arena, you're pretty reasonably confident that nobody's going to be armed because, you know, obviously they, they're going to check for that. But, uh, you know, you do worry about those big mass gatherings. We no longer live in a society where you can't feel a little bit nervous when you see that many people together. Yeah, it's it's very scary. I mean, um, I don't know if it happens with such frequency, at least yet, thank God, that it would give me pause if I were to want to attend a parade of this nature. But if we're using history as our guide, I mean these types of shootings breed similar types of shootings, right? This is, you know, not something that will probably be anomalous. It, I'm sure it'll happen again, as you said, and that's that's the unfortunate and scary thing uh, about this. So it is a, really an, an indictment on our, you know, culture and society at large. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and especially, you know, young kids, they're juveniles. So, you know, like we don't even get to know their names. With Sometimes you can kind of skip that whole keep the juveniles names out of the paper thing. Some, in some cases, you can you can skip that. Uh, I do think that, uh, you know, as you said, it's societal. Um, it's certainly more commonplace here than anywhere, but uh, definitely do not get the impression that this stuff doesn't happen anywhere else. Because like I yeah. said, I was watching that Raptors parade uh, when when uh, that happened. And I think it was uh, their play-by-play voice, uh, uh, Matt Devlin, who cut in all of a sudden. Raptors were still on the stage and telling people to stay calm and all this. You know, it can happen anywhere. It just happens here way more often. Yeah. I, I don't want to be subtle about this because we're a media podcast. So I do want to dig in just a tiny bit more to the media aspect of this, all of this. Um, I do think the delay on ESPN's part kind of shows their lack of preparedness um, in breaking news situations. Um, You know, this is a network who has been through countless numbers of layoffs. Um, They just, simply do not have the manpower that they once did. I think you look at ESPN 10 or 15 years ago, they're probably much better prepared for a circumstance like this, um, you know, to cut into a sports center studio rather than continue with their pre-programmed NBA show. Every minute that went by where ESPN was not acknowledging this, it was a bad look for the network. Yeah, I, I I can see that point. You know, part of it for me is I wasn't even in the house. I was out and about when this was going on, so I did not see ESPN's coverage. And uh, in my mind, I I think an hour is tough. But if I was sitting down watching live as it was going on, uh, you know, maybe an hour would not seem so relatively uh, uh, inconsequential. It might have felt much longer than an hour that they weren't on the air, uh, certainly. But um, ESPN isn't prepared. They've lost a lot of institutional memory with all of these layoffs. You don't have Bob Lee and Jeremy Schapp to anchor anymore. I mean, Jeremy is still there, but 
I doubt that he's in a position to just jump into the sports center studio, given how, how limited his role is. The other thing too, when we have these types of stories, sometimes things just get too much into the, you know, here's my opinion, passionate commentary. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I definitely think that in that scenario, you also want news coverage. You want someone who will tell you, here's what's going on, like Bob Lee, right? I'm not saying there's any, I mean, it's not like they were editorializing for a cause that I don't support. I definitely agree and think it's the most reasonable position that, you know, those types of guns that make it so easy, right? You know, guns, guns don't kill people, people kill people, but some guns make it way easier for people to kill people. And, you know, I mean, obviously I, I, I agree that those should not be available. I just don't necessarily feel like the viewer is being too served hearing Adam Schefter say that, right? Like in that moment, I'm looking for, hey, tell me what's going on. If you can't tell me what's going on, the other argument would be, okay, well, let's interview people at the scene. Uh, and if you can't do that, well, maybe the argument is that you go back to programming. I mean, I guess during NFL Live, they really had no choice. We want to we wanna have up-to-the-minute information, constantly updated. We want to hear from people who are down at the scene. You have this relationship with ABC News. Exactly. I don't yeah, I don't understand why you don't lean on that. If you ESPN do not have the resources to have someone on the ground there, go to a live shot, gather information yourself. But the sad thing is here that ESPN at its core is a news organization, right? Like they're not really that anymore, but if you look through their history, that's where they've thrived, right? They are sports news. From Chris Myers being on the air when the Olympic Park bombing happened, right? You know, if you've ever seen that clip where you can hear the explosion, and he's doing a live sports center. You know, to, all the way to 9-11, Bob Lee, Trey Wingo, Boston Marathon bombing, Bob Lee, Jeremy Schapp, Kobe Bryant's death, Michael Leaves, Zubin Behenti, uh, you know, Muhammad Ali's death, uh, which was the best sports center episode they ever did. That was, uh, that was the last train out of the station uh th that was the final gasp of what espn once was that night um you know they've always had the ability to do that they just don't really and, you know it comes down to i want to just drill back into that point and I, to reiterate for the third time that i agree with adam schefter but also people have slipped into this idea that the best kind of journalism is advocacy but the best kind of journalism is journalism, right? The best kind of journalism is just telling people what's going on and relaying them that information. And usually you can do so in a way that will inform other people's advocacy rather than, you know, taking, you know, I don't know. I mean, the, 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 uh, the Julia Sugarbaker brand soapbox. I, 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 I get why people feel passionately in that moment. But I think, honest to God, if I had to pinpoint when this started, I'd say Katrina, because that was when all of a sudden it became really advantageous for your career as an anchor to show emotion on the air. So if you remember, Shep Smith did this and Anderson Cooper did it. And they both got really emotional covering Katrina. Anderson Cooper got a huge career boost out of that and Hurricane Dennis a few months earlier. 
because if you remember, that was when CNN had Aaron Brown on at 10 o'clock. And Anderson, they, after Dennis, they gave Anderson the co-hosting gig with Aaron Brown at 10. And after Katrina, they said, Aaron Brown, see you later. And Anderson has been on prime time on CNN ever since. And I think that was kind of the beginning of the idea that it's not the anchor's job to lead you through an event with information and telling what's going on. The way that Peter Jennings and, you know, Brokaw and Cronkite had, it became to kind of use the moment to make sure everybody knows how you feel. But that's not what we, but that's not what we want in the breaking news scenario. I mean, it's just not. Now, again, I feel like I'm not trying to suggest that the emotions that were felt in that moment were artificial or a put on or anything. I just don't feel like if you if they had gone to Sports Center instead of NFL Live, that's the other thing. It's kind of weird that they let NFL Live handle it. I know it's an NFL story, but you know, that's kind of weird, especially given the thought in my view that informed this story is that it was a targeted or, or a shooting that was targeting everyone at the parade rather than two complete morons having a gun battle in the middle of a damn parade, which is when they're sitting down in their jail cells at age 60, they'll be trying to figure out how they were ever so stupid, right? Um, you know, there's a big difference between those two things. And so when the initial thought was that it was a shooting that was targeting parade goers, like what we saw in Highland Park in, in Illinois, right? Um, you, you go to Sports Center for that. That's a really, I mean, it's still a serious story anyway, but one is like a, a much bigger scenario of, wow, people, you know, they were targeting people at this parade. So I'm surprised they went to NFL Live. Given that. And I guess now that I say all of that, I would say I'm surprised they didn't come on the air earlier. Because, you know, as you think about it, given what this story seemed to be on its face, it's a tragedy anyway, but given what it seemed to be on its face, yeah, I would think that you probably come on earlier and you come on with SportsCenter. Yeah. Well, it, it's certainly emblematic of where ESPN stands today. And um, we'll see if they're able to learn from the situation and maybe in the, in the next breaking news story, they will, they will act differently. But um, I think it was, it was pretty clear that they, they fumbled the ball on, on that day and not to, I don't want to, um, you know, compare and contrast too much, but you know, FS1 going to the Fox news feed was good until the 4 p.m. hour when they decided to go back to speak. And it was a lot of what you just said. Um, it was latitudes and feelings. It wasn't really reporting um, on what was happening. If you wanted real reporting, you would have had to go to one of the three cable news networks, or I believe, I'm not super sure, but I'm, I think like CBS and ABC might have done some cut-ins, like some special reports about what was happening. So you had to go to seek out an actual news channel if you wanted real-time updates about what was happening because ESPN and Fox Sports 1, once they went back to their normal studio show, um, were not doing any original reporting on the matter. So yeah. um, just a very, very sad situation, very interesting to see how the media handles those types of breaking news scenarios. John, we've gone pretty long today. Um, have we? That's not good. <laughs> 
do you have anything that you'd like to say before we close out the show? Uh, you know, we uh, we have not talked about the Daytona 500. Obviously, it was postponed to Monday. Uh, regardless of whether it was on Sunday or Monday, we wouldn't have the numbers anyway. We're taping Tuesday. And because of President's Day, the numbers aren't out till Wednesday. So the only way that you'll see any Daytona 500 numbers before Wednesday is if the race did well enough for Fox to put out a fast national. And that would be very surprising to me. I was very surprised that the NBA All-Star Game viewership was up by double digits. I'll be shocked if the Daytona 500 viewership is up by double digits. I mean, it still was the most watched. Well, that's actually going to be a good question. Will a Monday Daytona 500 beat the NBA All-Star Game? That's going to be interesting. You know, it's it's been a while uh, since the day. Well, I guess, yeah, it's been a while since the Daytona 500 was not the most watched sporting event of the President's Day weekend. Right. Because in 2021, when the numbers were so low, under five million, NBA All-Star game wasn't for a couple of weeks uh, later because that was in March that year. So very interesting to see. I would bet on Daytona still coming in at maybe six ish million, something like that. But, you know, that race, that was weirdly low key. The, the little bits and pieces I saw of it, that was a low energy seeming broadcast to me. But maybe people who watched more of it can tell me otherwise. Yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously Daytona has helped that it is on President's Day if it has to go yeah. to a Monday. So plenty of people have off of work, um, but of course not everybody does. Uh, and so you're going to get a, a hit from, from the viewership for that reason alone. But Fox has done a lot for NASCAR. Fox has been a great partner, but I don't know why you're not alternating the Daytona 500 between partners. I mean, you know, when NBC was initially in the mix, they would get it every other year. You know, NBC is great with events that are like that. The cultural one-off events like Kentucky Derby, they, you know, they should get at least the Daytona 500 every other year. Uh, I don't get why they, they, I mean, what is this like? Uh, how many, how many consecutive years on Fox now? 15, 16? uh all right john uh once again we have gone long here so let's wrap it up um another week down i do want to uh, i do want to thank the nba for providing me a credential to attend all-star weekend now of course most journalists aren't going to say thank you for that because it's part of the job but sports media watch is a one-man band with apologies to you drew and to adam and to all the other folks who helped me out but it is it's my site it's not backed by anybody um and so uh, realistically you know, there's no obligation that the NBA or any other organization have to credential me. So uh, I just want to express my gratitude for that. Uh, and, uh, you know, looking forward to trying to get to some more events. Uh, I was supposed to do the NASCAR race in Chicago last year, but a derecho uh, prevented that from happening. Hopefully that won't repeat. Maybe I can get out to that. But uh, I do want to thank the NBA and the folks there for uh, being so accommodating with the access at All-Star Weekend. And you can read my article about All-Star Weekend or Adam's. Uh, we both have articles about uh, the weekend. And I do want to thank Adam, who uh, has done some work for the site before, but was indispensable in uh, helping me over the All-Star Weekend. And he was able to get a question in on Sunday in the post game with Jason Tatum. And I can certainly tell you that uh, getting a question, uh, getting called on in person is a lot different than using the raise hand tool on Zoom. So I credit Adam a great deal that as well. Uh, very gratifying to hear uh, 
someone say they're with sports media watch as they're asking an NBA player requested. So uh, just wanted to get all that out. And we'll be back, of course, next week. We are heading into the true dead zone of sports television outside of July. This is the deadest time of the calendar. I have no idea what's even on this week. Uh, MLS is starting. Um, spring training is starting. That's actually weirdly exciting. And uh, none of that is particularly, you know, none of that's going to drive a lot of, of a lot of listens. But who knows? We'll see. We'll, we'll be back next week with whatever is on tap. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done.